Spectrum's brought to you by the Scripps College of Communication at Ohio University. Before a new idea can become a way of thinking, before one detail can flip the narrative, before anything that matters can change the world, it must, above all, be known. The duty of the Scripps College of Communication is to bring forth the people who bring forth the knowledge, by word or image or data stream and in every medium and by all means, they succeed. They say, make it loud, make it clear, make it known. Learn more at ohio.edu slash Scripps College. Welcome to Spectrum. Spectrum features conversations with an eclectic group of people. Some are famous and some are not, but the common thread is that they all have captivating stories. Today we're talking to author and Salvador Dali expert Paul Camara about his new book, Dali and His Doctor, The Surreal Friendship Between Salvador Dali and Dr. Edmund Klein. Dolly was a patient of skin cancer expert, Dr. Klein, and for eight years, Dr. Klein did not charge Dolly, and instead, Dolly repaid him in original sketches. Today, we'll learn about their unique relationship and about those sketches. Let's talk about your fascination first before we get into the book. T- tell us about it. Tom, you know more about me than I know about me, uh, <laughs> but I'll tell you, I would substitute for fascination, obsession. Okay, I admit it. Some people call me a dolly nut. But to answer your question, I find the man intriguing on so many levels. Uh, briefly stated, I loved his ideas. He had unique twist on reality. And uh, no matter what the subject was, there was always that what we call Dalinian twist Uh, that made it very much his own. I also really appreciated his technical skill, his craftsmanship, his beautiful ability to paint, you know, so well. I found that extremely refreshing, particularly in a day when there was so much kind of a slapdash school of art, so to speak, the grip and drool, you know. Uh, And I, frankly, I admired Dolly's... um, nonconformity because it probably mirrored, mirrored a little bit of my own, you know, kind of nonconformity, I suppose. For the lay audience out there listening, uh, remind them of a couple of Dolly paintings that they may have come across uh, either in school or museums or, or in print shops. Sure. Without a doubt, the most universally recognized painting by Dolly is painting called The Persistence of Memory. It's the better known sort of as the melting clocks or the melting watches. And uh, it's several watches that are oozing like camembert cheese over branches in the landscape. Very surrealistic, very dreamlike, and very iconic. Another one among so many would be one of his religious paintings. He did at least three very major ones. Uh, I would point out, I suppose, the one in the National Gallery in Washington, D.C., which is the Sacrament of the Last Supper, a very large painting, and it's almost photographic in its quality. 
So those are a couple of works that people probably would be familiar with, particularly the first one, the, the Melting Clocks. Now, you talked about him as a personality, and he certainly sometimes transcended his paintings in his personality, it seemed. Uh, for people who may not remember quite, Salvador Dali uh, often wore capes. He had uh, a mustache. How would you describe his mustache, Paul? <laughs> Dangerous. No. <laughs> no, no. I mean, first of all, it is so emblematic and iconic. Uh, people immediately think of that mustache, that handlebar mustache that was just so exaggerated and was so fine-tuned, you know, just like his painting. Oh, it was exquisite. It was exquisite. And ironically, Tom, one of the, I suppose, problems is that a lot of people can't, couldn't get beyond the mustache. In other words, <laughs> they thought that Dolly's personality was so out there, which it was, that they, they, they couldn't get beyond it to discover that, that there was behind it an absolute genius who did so many things, not just painting. Painting was one small dimension, actually, of his total output of, of creative work. Um, but yeah, I mean, the mustache, uh, the, you know, that was synonymous with, with Dali, no, no question about it. Did he, and it worked to his advantage on, 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 in so many ways. Did he have a flamboyant lifestyle that went along with the flamboyance of, of persona? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, very, uh, very eccentric, very flamboyant is, to use your word, is probably the best word. And, you know, I think Dolly did that, if I may say, for, for probably two key reasons. One was he recognized that it was, in effect, a merchandising strategy and a, a self-promotional strategy because everyone knew who Dolly was. He made headlines and he, he became famous in part because of being Dolly, as well as being a great artist. The other reason, though, that he was this way was that he always wanted to assert his own identity because when he, uh, I'll try to make this short, but he was preceded by the first Salvador Dolly that was actually born to his parents, lived for about two years, unfortunately died oh of, my. I believe it was meningitis. Nine months later, almost to the day, Salvador, the artist, was born, and they named him Salvador, just as the dead brother was named <laughs> Salvador to begin with. So Dolly, and he talked about this many times in his books, his autobiographies and such, said that he wanted to aggressively establish his own identity. He was not the dead brother. He was Salvador Dolly. And so he fought to assert that personality and boy, he did a great job of it. Yes, he, he did. Well, let's let's move into into the book. A uh, very unique title: Dolly and His Doctor: The Surreal Friendship Between Salvador Dolly and Doctor Edmund Klein. Uh, how how did you come upon this book and this topic? And give us some of the background. The backstory. Uh, Tom, is that there was a piece on me done in the in a local newspaper here, the Buffalo News in Buffalo, New York, and it was a profile of me because of my work in the Dolly world, if you will. 
And I got a call as a result of that story, <clears throat> excuse me, from uh, Martha Klein, the widow of this Dr. Edmund Klein. And she told me she had a rather unique collection of drawings that were done for her husband, her late husband, Dr. Klein. And would I like to see them? So I went down to the bank vault where they were kept in, in Buffalo and, and saw them and was amazed by them. And it turns out that what happened was Dolly had contact. He was looking for who he believed was the best man in the world to deal with skin cancer or some kind of skin condition that Dolly had. We don't know completely because of patient doctor confidentiality. Right. And I was never able to access personal records. But we believe Dolly probably had some form of a, of a serious skin condition at some point. So his search for the best led him to the doorstep of Dr. Edmund Klein in Buffalo, New York. Uh, what happened there, Tom, was that Dolly and Klein met over the course of about eight years, privately, and Klein treated Dolly. But Klein didn't want any compensation. He himself was not only a very altruistic guy, but kind of eccentric himself. He didn't want compensation. So what Dolly did is Dolly drew drawings for them every time they met, whether it was in New York, Spain, France. And he would bring, Dolly would bring either a Dolly book or a sketch pad and execute a, a drawing for Klein. And it would be inscribed to him, often with the term uh, my angel or my guardian angel, because that's how Dolly felt of, you know, thought of Dr. Klein. So the way I got involved is when I saw the drawings that were in the bank vault, there were about 15 of them, Mrs. Klein decided it was time now after three decades of their being completely unknown to the world and sequestered in this bank vault, it was time to take them out and do something with them, which was basically cataloging them, promoting them, exhibiting them, and selling them. And I handled that entire process for her became advisor to her collection. Well, let's, and so that's what that that's sort of the long and the short of it. Maybe it was too long, I don't know. No, 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 no. Let let's go back though and 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 talk about this relationship between Dr. Klein and 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 Dolly. Uh, sort of uh, as you described it, certainly a unique doctor-patient relationship. What was Dr. Klein working on experimental treatments for uh, some kind of skin cancer or skin condition, or, or was he just the best at a routine treatment? I would have to say that of, the, of those two choices, I would characterize it as experimental. Um, but he had insight that others didn't about skin cancer and how it could be treated uh, externally. Uh, he advanced the use of what's called immunotherapy, not to get too technical about it, right. you know, in which the body's own defenses are alerted to fend off tumors. What, so, what's, what's happening today uh, in, in cancer research is, is the same thing, uh, immunotherapy. Well, Absolutely. Uh, I mean, he this this treatment of his involved, you know, the application of agents to stimulate the immune system, and and I think this pointed the way toward future things like interferon and, and some of these other therapies. 
he won, Dr. Klein won the highest award achievable in American medicine. It's called the Albert Lasker Award for his clinical research. So Dr. Klein himself was a giant, a pioneer in modern medicine, just as Dolly was a pioneer in modern art. So it was a really interesting sort of kinship there. Definitely a surreal relationship, if you think about it. I mean, they met privately. They met for the purposes of him treating Dolly's uh, skin condition. Um, and I understand that Ed Klein really was more fascinated with Dolly's personality, his engaging personality, and his extraordinary knowledge as a, as a science-minded artist. Dolly knew a lot about science, and therefore there was a great connection between him and the very scientific Dr. Klein. So they really just became, you know, fast friends. It's so, very, so, very interesting. So their personalities meshed, even though they were coming certainly from, from two different disciplines. This, this was over a fairly elongated period, too, right? About eight years? About eight years, Tom, and you're right about their personalities meshing. That's, that's a really good point you bring up, because they... It could have gone a different way, right? You know, but but now no, they they just they they just connected very nicely. So I think there was some commonality in in their in their idiosyncrasies and personality and their geniuses, their respective genius. But it was over about 1972 to 1980 was the time period, and and those are the dates, the span of time that appear on the drawings. Those dates, there were about 15 drawings. Now, these drawings, uh, were they all different? Were they of the sort of the same genre? Help, help us uh, get a visual picture of these drawings. The drawings had primarily two themes. One that I think was more predominant, and that was a, a theme of angels. And I mentioned earlier that uh, Dolly referred to Dr. Klein as his guardian angel. Almost all of the drawings had written in French, even though Dolly was Spanish, he often wrote in French. Uh, the, the, the term, I don't know fr French, so I won't even try it, but it basically translates to my angel or my guardian angel. So many of them were angelic figures. Some were Don Quixote type figures, because again, Dolly often drew Don Quixote as somewhat of a symbol of himself, you know, uh -huh. this kind of dominant, uh, you know, fig figure, powerful figure. Um, and so there were some Don Quixote figures. There's one of Don Quixote standing next to Sancho Panza, who's seated on a, on a mule. Um, there was another one that had, uh, a couple of two lovers, a man and a woman, you know, embracing, and they're looking at a shooting star in the distance. And then there was a lovely, beautiful angel that we, we called the cover angel because it appeared on the cover of the catalog we did, the 30-page catalog. And it was, without doubt, the most exquisite of the drawings, Tom. It was just uh, absolutely masterful. In my opinion, a museum-quality piece, even though it was executed in, in this case, ballpoint pen. Some were actually done in black crayon, <laughs> and um, some in India ink, and some in ballpoint pen. We'll be back after this short message.
The Scripps College of Communication at Ohio University seeks to not only educate its students about today's communication industry, but to produce innovative leaders who will shape the future of communication and its methods of delivery in a rapidly changing technological landscape. Scripps provides leadership in communication by preparing students to be effective and responsible communicators in a global society and by advancing the field through creative activity and research. The Scripps College of Communication fosters multicultural awareness within a diverse community. It strives to create a climate of civility where leadership and innovation are prized and responsibility and accountability are understood. The college values curriculum, research, and creative activity that provide benefits to people regionally, nationally, and globally. Learn more at ohio.edu slash Scripps College. We're talking to Paul Camara, a writer, teacher, and one of the world's foremost experts on the Spanish artist Salvador Dali. And we're talking about his new book, Dali and His Doctor, The Surreal Friendship Between Salvador Dali and Dr. Edmund Klein. Uh, you say that uh, Mrs. Klein, Martha Klein, uh, brought this uh, to to your attention. Uh, when you, she first brought these to your attention and you went to the bank vault, Paul, uh, what were your thoughts? What was going through your mind as, as you saw this undiscovered work of this person that you've sort of committed a lifetime of, of studying? first thought was we should all be wearing white gloves (laughs) because I was really nervous, Tom, about people putting their fingerprints and such on these exquisite little pieces. But I was blown away, to use the cliche. I just was blown away. One was, to me, more fascinating than the other. And I was a kid in the candy store, and I said, you've got just a magnificent collection here, a very personalized collection. We call it dedicatory drawings because they were dedicated to or inscribed to, you know, Dr. Klein. Um, And some, quite frankly, weren't that great. Uh, Some I would characterize, and I don't want to use the word doodle, but they were pretty facile is the word, simple. Others were somewhere middle of the road, and then several were absolutely stunning. One, for example, was a DNA double helix molecule um, with various angels in it, and one of them holding the medical uh, staff to suggest Dr. Klein. But overall, to answer your question, I was truly inspired and and just just totally pleased by what I saw. Give, give us give us an idea of the size of these. Were these like on eight and a half by eleven uh, sheets of paper? Were they on scraps of paper? Uh... Well, they were actually in. Most of them were in books. So Dolly would bring a Dolly book, some fairly large coffee table type books, uh, some smaller. Uh, They probably ranged in size from your eight and a half by 11 size up to, uh, well, maybe not quite twice that, but significantly larger than that. 
Uh, one was done. Oh, one was done uh, on the back of a technical paper that Dr. Klein had written. Some <laughs> very, very esoteric paper with words that I couldn't even begin to pronounce. Uh, dealing, you know, with the technology of cancer research and what have you, biochemistry things or whatever. And it was done on the back of that paper. So obviously Klein had either brought it or had it with him, and Dolly drew on that. One was also executed on a small photo, uh, I'm sorry, a catalog, a, a photography catalog from an old gallery in New York City. Most were in books, Dolly books. And so, two, at least, were done on sketch pads that Dolly had brought. And would he do these uh, before he'd see the doctor, as he was talking to the doctor? Uh, uh, were these done to present to the doctor? Great question. Great question. I wish I had a great answer for it. My, my understanding is, it, it's been my, my inference anyway from all this, that it was done while they were together in the presence of Dr. Klein. I'm pretty sure that's what Martha told me, that's Mrs. Klein, uh, that they were actually done uh, right, right there. I, I might add that on that cover angel piece, which is so beautiful, uh, a very prominent artist himself, also an Ohio University graduate, Harvey Breverman, um, had written um, a, a piece that is in my book, in fact, about the collection. And he commented on that one piece. He says, this piece, there was no room for error. It was done in a book. It's absolutely exquisite. It's virtually perfect. <laughs> and there was no room for error. So Dolly had no second chance. He brought one book and he used pen. You can't erase pen. I mean, and it was done masterfully, just masterfully. So, I mean, I, I'm getting excited about it, Tom. I'm glad we're talking about my favorite subject. <laughs> <laughs> tell, tell me a little bit about uh, Martha Klein and and what she wanted you to do with these. Obviously, she wanted to share them with you. Uh, did she want to sell them right away? Did she want to put them on display? What, did she have an intention? Her intention was to first put them on display. She wanted to share them mainly with the Buffalo, New York market. At first, of course, we got internet, literally international attention I mean, all over the world hundreds oh, sure. and hundreds of media descending on this. But her intention was to exhibit them, bring them out, share them with people. They've been sequestered for far too long. They deserve to be shown. But then, indeed, her intention was to sell them. And certainly she expected to put uh, whatever proceeds would occur to um, be put to good use. So that was the intention. The other thing I would add, if I might, is that Frankly, she didn't know much about these pieces. She respected the fact that they were done by Salvador Dali, you know, the most celebrated artist of the 20th century. She knew what, she had something special, but she frankly didn't know that much about Dali and, and really had no clue what to do with these and how to go about it. So when she read about me, she was delighted to learn that locally there was me an expert <laughs> in in Salvador Dali uh, paintings. I, I'm embarrassed to use the word expert, so I always say I always personally say specialist, but um, call it what you will. She she called it an expert, but the reality is that we we got together and I took care of business for her. So the first thing I thought we should do 
is to catalog them. And we did a beautiful catalog. It was a pretty surreal couple of nights, uh, a couple of days in the bank vault <laughs> uh, down in, in, in Buffalo, New York, downtown HSBC building uh, with a security guard watching over us carefully as we were outside the vault shooting pictures of Salvador Dali drawings. <laughs> wow. But we did a beautiful catalog. It came out very well. Um, and then her intention was to exhibit it, which we eventually did do, uh, with the first exhibit being at the State University of New York at Buffalo. When you go about selling a collection like this that's dedicated, a dedicatory collection, as you, as you call it, uh, how do you do that? Uh, do you take it to an auction house? Uh, walk us through that process. Um, we struggled, frankly, as, as two laymen determined to sell these, didn't really know the best way, but we looked at all the reasonable options. Auctions, frankly, did not seem to be the way to go. Uh, there are a lot of attendant costs sure. and fees associated with auctions. You run the risk of if they don't sell, they get sort of publicly burned for a while. You know, that not, not to put down auctions, there's, there's certainly great advantages of auctions as well. What we ended up doing is we did press into service a couple of people who were who are known as art brokers, uh, well, consultants, brokers, whatever. They were pretty successful. And uh, some people came to us with the with offers uh we did put the collection after the university at buffalo exhibition which was strictly an exhibition we then went to a, a local private gallery in buffalo benjamin's gallery and had a sales exhibition so they were priced and offered unabashedly for sale and we sold a few through there so over the years we did it quite frankly not an easy sell it's, it's not the easiest thing uh, to sell art and particularly dedicatory drawings because they're, you know, they're very personalized. Um, but we, we, we did it. It took us about eight years. We have a couple of minutes left, Paul, and, and uh, the original Dolly Museum was in Beechwood, Ohio in 1982, permanently relocated to uh, St. Petersburg, right across from the Pointer Institute uh, uh, for Journalism in St. Petersburg, Florida. Uh, is that worth people going to see? Oh, yes, yes, and yes again. Right. I mean, you love Dolly or even think you might like him, you have to go to the Salvador Dolly Museum in St. Pete. It's just a mind-blowing experience. Trust me on that one. And why was it moved from Beechwood, Ohio, where it originated? The owners uh, of the collection, the late Reynolds and Eleanor Morse, uh, were looking for a permanent home. They had only had a provisional setup, Tom, in, in a wing of the Morse's uh, plastics company, of all things. Uh, in an industrial, you know, commerce park, and, and, and they knew it was just temporary. But they were looking for someone who would take the entire collection intact, agree not to sell it, and of all the places, St. Petersburg, Florida, long story, very short, 
was the winner, so to speak. They got it, and boy, they're happy about it because it has now become the most popular art museum, maybe the most popular museum, I believe, period, in the state of Florida. And it's just a gem. It's, 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 it's remarkable. We've been talking with Salvador Dali expert and author Paul Camara about his new book, Dolly and His Doctor, The Surreal Friendship Between Salvador Dolly and Dr. Edmund Klein. We want to thank you for listening to Spectrum. This podcast is produced by WOUB Public Media. Adam Rich is our audio engineer. I'm your host, Tom Hudson. Tune in next week for another edition of Spectrum. For more information about Spectrum, go to wub.org.